This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Brandon Ponchak is a man of very many hats. He is the general manager of USL2's Cincinnati Dutch Lions, where he is also one of their assistant coaches and goalkeeper coaches. In addition to that, he owns and operates the U.S. branch of S1 Goalkeeping, which represents and sells S1 Goalkeeping gloves. During this interview, I decided to focus my question asking on a few topics that Brandon wrote about on his personal blog in 2016, specifically some of the ideas that he has for American soccer. And funny enough, three years later, everything was still very relevant. So in this episode, Brandon and I discuss solidarity payments and training compensation, promotion and relegation, and the role of community-based soccer in America today. You can find links to Brandon's Twitter, as well as the blog post that I referenced throughout our conversation on 343coaching.com. That is also where you can learn more about 343's premium coaching membership program. It is a powerful and proven coaching education program for ambitious coaches who want to learn to coach possession-based soccer using gold standard methods. The 343 methodology is the culmination of decades of study and practice domestically and overseas. Of note are Brian Cliven's five internships at FC Barcelona, along with lots of trial and error to hone his coaching craft. And that methodology is delivered to you in an easy-to-use online course that is loaded with video, audio, and ebook lessons. David Copeland-Smith, the founder of Beast Mode Soccer, is in his sixth year as a 343 member. He said, and I quote, Honestly, it's worth 10 times the yearly membership. You're not investing in the drills. You are investing in your education, a proven methodology, and a phenomenal community of progressive coaches. If you want to learn the gold standard methods and develop players and teams to their full potential, it makes sense for you to get access to the 343 Premium Membership Program. You can learn more about the 343 Coaching Education Program, or you can sign up and start learning today by visiting 343coaching.com. Once again, all of that is available on 343coaching.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brandon Ponchak. Good to good to finally talk to you, man. I know this has been months in the making, so um, yeah, it's good to finally get you on the phone. I appreciate it. Long long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I I told you uh, I told you nine o'clock, and then I text you, give me a couple minutes, because I was actually uh, I pulled up your your Twitter profile, and I was just looking at your bio just to just to have a few things fresh in my head and then I clicked on your pinned tweet and I started reading and I was like well I can't stop reading now I gotta I gotta keep reading so <laughs> it's interesting stuff man so hopefully we can get into that uh, in the next yeah. I don't know 10-15 minutes or so perfect those were those were uh that was first edition I, I probably need to go back through and and change from first edition to a second edition that's that's how people do it right yeah no it's it's actually um it's one of the best things about 
blogging or, or journaling or, or anything really book writing is that you put an idea down and, and you know it changes over time and then you you act you at least can go back to what you thought five years ago 10 years ago 15 years ago and you're like wow you know i thought that and now i think this or yeah. I, I i thought that and i absolutely still believe that to this day so you know there, there's tons of positives um you know from blogging from journaling from writing whatever and i think that, right. i think it's i think it's cool that people uh like you share that uh it's been let's see you released it, it says march 31st 2016 so you know three years three and a half years later uh, a lot of that stuff that you mentioned in that post is, is still very relevant does it does it have a, a date that it was published do you know is this Ooh, uh the the tweet is march 31st time. 2016 um did, did it have a time on it it <laughs> it might not no. that, that was probably all done at like two or three a.m. <laughs> <laughs> is that a is is that like your your quiet time or were you just so frustrated nah. at that time that you were up all night just pounding the keyboard? That that's exactly more of what it was. Uh, and that's kind of why I started to blog anyway, just to to quit to quit thinking about things and just put thoughts down. And and I mean, it was more just private stuff, just for me, just to get stuff off out of my head and off my heart, you know, and just didn't become a little bit more and, and it's nothing major. Like I haven't done anything for a while with it. So, uh, it's just been too much going on or I haven't had the opportunity to sit down and, and just write like a second one of those, which I think, I mean, there's a lot of updated information since, you know, 2016 that, that could be added to, to, to enhance it, I think, um, or, or even to remove some stuff that's just outdated information. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of wild to think, um, you know, twenty sixteen. How much is how much has changed in um, in American soccer, but also just you know, three years just flew by, and nothing nothing you know at scale really changed, and we're all just still kind of just dealing with the same crap. And, yeah. and 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 here we are thinking we're making you know massive strides forward, and really when you think about it. Um, you know, in a three-year, five-year, ten-year, fifteen-year cycle, we're we're really just doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty minor stuff. I mean, we can't head the ball at, at the youth ages right now, <laughs> but that's outside of that. I mean, what what else is there? Yeah, yeah not not much else has changed. And, and you know, like you can kind of point at the development academy being like a big change, um, but really, I mean, it it didn't really change anything at, at scale for the country it kind of just sectioned off one little one little piece of american youth soccer and and you know but american soccer as a whole didn't didn't see like this massive facelift or anything right especially especially since when they did it they started at the higher ages the u18s and the u17s u16s whatever it was like i would have thought it would have happened younger so you can graduate those players every year through it so instead of just having one year in the de development academy, you've had four years. Yeah. Which would make more sense to me, at least, in, in starting something like that. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of just begs the question, like, you know, the people at that table, how many of them are soccer people, right? Like you, I'm looking yeah. at your at your Twitter bio and it's like, okay, GM, assistant slash goalkeeper coach slash director of goalkeeping slash owner of 
some other looks like soccer thing. And, but it's like, okay, like this guy's obviously a soccer person. How many people that were making those decisions in that room were soccer people? Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, how, how many of them had um, grassroots coaching experience? How many of them uh, had kids that were playing? How many of them um, had professional experience? And I think that that um, sentiment has actually been echoed by members of the Athletes Council. And, you know, they, they've come out publicly and said, hey, like, you know, we want we want our voice to be heard because uh, the people that are making the decisions don't know anything about playing the game. Like they're, they're not making they're not making decisions based on the actual game. So, um, you know, if, if they're if they're saying that, if they're screaming that from their from their megaphone, that's that should be pretty alarming. One would think one would think. <laughs> yeah, you would think. Um, let's see. I think we've already flown through like five minutes um, without even introducing you properly. So do me do, do me a favor and tell everybody uh, who you are and, and what you do, and and maybe if uh, if you can talk a little bit about what was in that that pin that pin tweet that blog post that uh, that we started talking about. Yeah, we'll do. Um, so my name is Brandon Ponchak. I'm the general manager of a USL2 entity, the Cincinnati Dutch Lions. Uh, and we're based in Cincinnati, Ohio, Northern Kentucky region. Um, on top of that, I'm also the director of goalkeeping with Ohio Elite Soccer Academy uh, in Westchester, Ohio, which is just on the north side of Cincinnati. And then just on a whim, and I've wanted to do it for a while, that uh, I started up a, a U.S. branch of S1 Goalkeeping. Uh, S1 is a goalkeeping glove provider uh, based in England. And uh, I, I enjoy the gloves. I got turned on to them by uh, a former goalkeeper of mine who's now playing at, at Oldham Athletic. And, uh, yeah, it's been great. Uh, about six months in selling goalkeeper gloves. And uh, I've enjoyed them. I mean, I, I won't wear anything different right now. Plus, they're cost-effective. Um, and I... I spent many a years buying expensive pairs of goalkeeper gloves and just having to turn around and do it again. These are these are affordable and don't don't break the bank and they're quality gloves. Tell me tell me more about your role as a general manager for a USL two team and, and the first question that pops into my head is were you guys an existing team when this when USL two became classified as what it is now as USL two or or did you guys pop up after the, the big changes? Yeah. So as a general manager, um, it's, it's me and uh, at least for the last few years, uh, three years, this is my third year Just finished my third season with, with Cincinnati Dutch Lions. Uh, we, we have been around just six years now. Um, and we started as an amateur affiliate of the Dayton Dutch Lions. And when they were USL pro, so at the time USL two was the PDL, uh, Dayton, which is just, you know, an hour, 15, hour and a half north of Cincinnati. They were the pro entity. And we said, hey, they, they saw a need in Cincinnati as a branch for an amateur team to reach out. And can we get more players for our pro side? Can we identify them and grow them into our pro side? So we that's where we started. Um, so we were around before all of that, you know, as a PDL. And then since then, Dayton has self-relegated to, to USL2. Um, and now we compete in the same division, uh, even though we are completely separate entities. We have separate ownership now as well. And we've, we've uh, just in 
finished our third year of ownership under new ownership. So while we have the same Dutch Lions brand, it's they're completely separate. Um, I, I kind of look at it a little bit like the Dutch Lions Capital Group, which is kind of the, the umbrella group, uh, is very similar to the City Football Group. So while New York City FC exists and Manchester City exists and Melbourne exists, they don't necessarily operate together that they just exist separately. And now there might be some sharing of whatever there um, that that can kind of exist with us as well. But in terms of player operations and club operations, we're, we're totally separate. Was the breakup between the two, like when, when it split into two separate entities, I'm not, and again, I'm not sure if you were, you were there for that. Cause it sounded like you started you know, three years ago. So that's like right around the time when that was happening. Um, to your knowledge, was the breakup mutual? It sounds like they, you, or you even said that they self-relegated, which put them in your division. Um, yeah. But how, how did that all kind of come about? Because obviously you guys are, are striving to be something more than just like an a amateur team. You guys are trying to professionalize yourselves, it sounds like. Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't know how and why that happened. Um, I, I think part of it was probably our ownership was interested in, in taking it over and doing something more for what was lacking here in this area for a extremely high level amateur team, you know, a pre-professional team. How can we get guys identified to move them on to the next level, wherever that might be um, domestically or abroad. Uh, and that, that was existing a little bit. I mean, I think in the first few years we had four or five players reach a pro ranks, but since then we're, we're now, at 12 players in five seasons, uh, not including this past season, which that whole pro matriculation hasn't happened yet. Um, and I would even venture to say that our 2018 season, that pro matriculation is, it hasn't occurred with them yet because we, we brought in an extremely young group. Uh, we had a lot of, you know, 19 and 20 year olds in the team. Uh, compared to prior years where we, we might have had a little older team, juniors and seniors in college, uh, as an example. And now now that I'm thinking about it, your blog post from 2016 is three three and a half years ago almost, and you just finished your third season as a GM of a USL2 team. So USL2 is fourth division of American soccer, correct? Correct. You just you just want to get me started on that, don't you? I do. I do. <laughs> no, it, technically, it's. I mean, I, one would probably say it's non-league okay. since U.S. soccer only identifies uh, three divisions, and there are only pro divisions. So there's no technically fourth, fifth, or sixth tiers. I know a common nomenclature is to say, "Oh, you're fourth tier" or whatever. I avoid that because I think it muddies the waters. Um, we're not in a tier because we only exist for three months. Uh, personally, I'd love to exist for longer. I'd love for there to be an amateur tier uh, or tiers, you know, whether it's four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever it is. Um, a lot of the players that I've had the opportunity to coach come from areas where they grow up, you know, participating in amateur tiers and they don't understand how U.S. doesn't have the ability to play basically once you hit 18 years old you graduate high school you're done playing unless you're lucky enough to get a scholarship or walk on somewhere that if there were there there is a need in my opinion and and those guys want options to play you know what 
I want, I want to do more than just go to school and play for three months during my college season. I want to play year round. And why can't we do that? I like, that's a great question. I'd love to be able to do the same. I mean, I, I still play in these rec leagues or, you know, Sunday leagues or whatever you want to call them. Sure. It'd be fun to compete in the ninth division in, in us soccer. Yeah. You know, like why not be uh, you know, a lot of community pride. Anybody can do it, set it up, regionalized leagues, whatever it is. It'd be a blast. Yeah, and and now I'm um, I'm gonna make you go deeper into this. Uh, you know, three seasons as a GM, you're obviously enjoying what you do. It sounds like you guys are providing something that is good for not only you know your local community, but but good for um, you know your league and and good for American soccer in general. How how frustrating is it to end a season after three months and be like, oh, okay, well, like that was it we're done catch you guys next year yeah it's rough um especially since you know for us we don't control our players i mean they're bound by a contract but that contract isn't tied to anything other than our team and our league so if they wanted to leave us and go play an npsl they were free to play an npsl now some might say well they should be released and that's kind of the ethical thing to do whatever i'll I'm, I'm neither here nor there with that, but I know I won't release you to a competitor of mine because, you know, just like anything else, I'm not like you're bound to this contract. We've invested money into you and time and efforts and all that stuff. You're not going to go and beat us right now. You got you, you signed a contract for three months. Uh, you know, so college coaches will pull pull players back anytime they choose and they, they feel the need to. Um, that's frustrating because we've had some great players come through with us. And, you know, we're, we're needing them in the stretch of the season only to find out that they're being called back two weeks early. And what can you do? You know, and that, that sometimes it's my livelihood that depends on that. Um, it's, it's the club's successes that depends on that. Um, but the college coach has the same. Um, they, have, they have scholarships wrapped up in these guys, so they don't want, uh, they don't want to blow an ACL or they don't want a concussion affecting – you know, what happens, you know, one of the things they talk about too is, oh, we got to have some time off. We got to have some, you can't get burnt out before the college season starts. Um, I, I know the guys that I've talked to that have been called back for those reasons. They absolutely hate it. Uh, they hate sitting around at the, the university, uh, having whatever you want to call them, captain's practices or strength and conditioning sessions. They want to play. Uh, players want to play and they just want to you know, play, play at a high level because they know how valuable it is to their success at college and for, for getting additional eyes on them if they want to chase that pro career. Yeah. Three, a three month college season and a three month USL two season leaves a lot to be desired. If you're, yeah. especially if you have uh, if you have big dreams, it's especially, I mean, think of it like, I, I just can't imagine just holding on to my players. Well, they're not players. They're the player. I'm just helping them achieve where they want to achieve and what they want to get to. But I can't imagine saying, you know what, your your development and your career path is only dependent upon these three months while you're at my university. Like there's so much more outside of that those three months that they can do to increase their visibility as a player and development opportunities. 
What about what about you guys as a franchise though? Are, are are you guys ever having the the conversations about like hey like this would be cool if we could take this to the next level or is that a is that a goal for you guys in the future to be a USL is it USL one or do they change the name I, I can't remember what, yeah, what it U- is now like, yeah USL one is third division and then USL championship is second division now got it uh, so so we is that those discussions yeah so yeah, so discussions so so I'm I'm curious like what what is the goal of a USL two team. Uh, I, I guess for some, they operate completely different. Um, I mean, some, some exist as an opportunity for their club players to, to come back home over the summer and continue to train and play at a high level. They might not have the ability to go somewhere else. They just want to come back home. I know there's some clubs that exist like that and that's, that's okay. Like, I don't, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that because they, they're, they still want to train. They still want to play. So a club is providing them opportunities to do that. Um, For us, I I, I think for our ownership, I don't want to speak completely on their behalf, but our our ownership is ambitious. They want to, they want to grow. They want to provide opportunities for soccer players. They want to provide opportunities for domestic and international soccer players. Um, It's a little bit about branding. It's a little bit about uh, profit, of course. Um, I mean, if if you're a business owner, you you always want to see where you can make some money. Um, honestly, I, I can't speak for all of them, but I just know that there's there's a lot of different ambitions behind them. Um, I mean, some just want to win championships, like, and they do. I mean, we we encountered the, the Flint City Bucks now, and they they just won their third third uh, USL two championship, well PDL USL two championship, and uh, you know they exist to do that, but they also exist to send guys pro, and that's kind of one of our main priorities as well um how can we get guys pro and give them a, additional views because they need it uh and can we you know can we uncover some um can we find those diamonds in a rough can we can we give somebody some additional you know eyes on them um we had more guys this year go to mls or usl camps uh during the summer than we ever had probably in the previous five years combined uh and i think that's a, a lot goes to that with with what the reputation we've built plus our head coach paul nicholson who was a seven eight year vet of usl um with wilmington hammerheads and fc cincinnati i mean paul is extremely connected he's a great coach he's a great guy to work with um i mean why would why would somebody else like why wouldn't you want to play for a guy like that um who can help you move on and can give you these hey i i just retired and at the end of 2017 you know he's a relevant pro professional soccer player that is is given back with what he knows in the game and the connections that he's made uh it's a huge benefit to a club like us now obviously you you follow me on social media you probably see me beating the the promotion relegation drum quite a bit um you you mentioned that in your blog post that i keep referencing from 2016 but that wasn't the first thing on your list. Actually, the first thing on your on your list in that blog post was solidarity payments. And <laughs> just a, just a moment ago, you said, "Yeah, that you know, obviously business owners want to make money. Um, you guys are sounds like you're doing a good job of of helping players find their next opportunities after after you guys or helping guys get into um, you know combines or or tryouts or things like that." 
again, what what's the conversation like as as a club when these guys leave and you guys have done a good job of hosting them for one or two or three seasons and then all of a sudden they're gone and you guys don't get any anything for that or or do you guys get something for that? Uh, we don't get anything. I mean, I that's part of the, my job as a general manager to let let other clubs know that you know if if they're going to be going overseas or. You know, let's say USL championship or whatever it is, MLS, that, that I have to write. Sometimes I have to go through and write some documents basically saying they're a free player. And we, that's all I can do. Um, I guarantee you, if, if there were solid solidarity payments right now, um, there would be more USL2 entities and, and other, I, I should just limit to USL2, but NPSL, uh, any other amateur league entities or, or clubs they would exist because people people want to find out how they can help players, but it's a financial burden for clubs like us when we don't have. I mean, our if I have a an image of I think it was Alcant and Stanley that that shared their top income statements, uh, their line items of where they bring in money at, and solidarity payments and training compensation were like the top two. And nobody looks at Hackington Stanley as like, oh, you know, they're they're winning Champions Leagues, but they provide opportunities. I bet they have a, a much richer club history than almost every U.S. pro entity right now. Um, but without those two line items, I mean, we're, what of our? How can we make money? How can we continue to to not be a financial burden? You know, yeah, we got merchandise, we have tickets. You know, we have some sponsorships, but there's a lot of money invested and, and you got to do a lot of things in order to help players develop. And, you know, adding two or three more line items, income statements in there, like that's going to help. Um, it's it's going to make it so the burden isn't always like just throwing money down a drain. Yeah, it's it, and that's pretty much what, American youth soccer is like youth youth club soccer. It, it's how how long can you sustain yourself um, by just yet yeah, lighting money on fire? Um, yeah. And then you know some clubs do good, some clubs do bad, but that's you know that's getting into the the conversation of of pay to play and and how much of a role parents play in that and and depending on on that to fund to fund soccer in this country. It's like, we're, you know, this, this country, um, is powered by parents money yeah. and, and that's not how it should be. It should be powered by, um, you know, a, an open market basically. Um, and people paying for players, people paying for, uh, TV sponsorships, things like that. Not, you know, not parents paying clubs, um, just so they can keep their doors open. That's, that yeah. seems ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think about that a lot. I know. I mean, it might sound a little hypocritical because I work for a club. Um, I mean, no, hey, every, not not at all, man. Because you you have incredible perspective now. Like it, it it's it's super important to be familiar with the mechanism that you want to change. Right. So if you're an outsider looking in and you're telling these people, Hey, you know, this, this, and this need to change. They'd be like, well, dude, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, but you do know what you're talking about. You're in the middle of it. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't tell you how many people, even, even, you know, college coaches or, or people that are spying to come in here and, and do like wonders. Hey, we got this great club idea. And I'm like, but your club idea can all, 
you got to understand your club idea probably isn't anything new than what already is existing right now. Um, and you also have to understand that your clients are basically only going to be training. They're only going to be around the ball. And now, now, granted, it's going to vary within the cultures wherever at you're at in the United States. But at least in the four, four or five states that I've coached in, in the last 13, 14 years that I've been coaching, kids are only going to be playing with a soccer ball during training. And that's not necessarily conducive to what you think you're going to do. Like you can only do so much for three hours, three or four and a half hours a week. You know, how many hours are there in a week? And you, you think that you're going to light the world on fire in us soccer by doing training for four and a half hours a week. You're going to have to get more out of those kids and those families. They got to put a lot more into their own personal development than four and a half hours a week. And if you want coaches to be out there, that's going to, in, in the way that it's set up now, that's going to require the parents to dump even more money into that. And so then that, that cycle continues. It's like, all right, mm-hmm. well, if you want more, it's going to cost more. And again, it shouldn't be like that. So, right. yeah. Uh, thinking back to, you know, how you, how you saw soccer three years ago. And, and again, I keep referencing this blog post because I think it's, it's a very, very good document and I'm going to uh, include a link to it in the write-up. Um, when I, when I release this episode so people can read it, um, thinking back to, you know, how you saw the game three years ago and before your experience now that you have now as a GM with three seasons under your belt, how, how important would you rank something like solidarity payments? How important would you rank something like promotion relegation and some of the other things that you, that you had on that list? Would you, would you shift some things around? Would you eliminate some things completely? Would you add different things in? Yeah, I think, um, I think the solidarity payments and promotional relegation are extremely important. Um, now it's not a, Hey, you're going to add those in 2020 and and U.S. soccer is going to be great type of structure, and that's that's something that I think's lost in the whole pro rel for USA argument. That nobody's truly saying that. Nobody's saying, "Hey, now that we have pro rel, uh, U.S. soccer is going to win a World Cup in 2022." But what we're saying is, and I had some great discussions with some of our fans around here about it. I said, "You know, if we had it right now, I you guarantee that our ownership." And there's numerous other ownerships out there. And we see it now Now that there's one in Denmark, you know, when Jordan Gardner took, took and, and bought up the club in Denmark. Like, people want to invest in soccer, but they want to make smart business decisions. And they don't want to just throw their money away. That's not how millionaires become millionaires all the time. It's just continue to throw money away. they got to have some return on investment. And if there's investment return on that investment through solidarity payments or climbing up a, a, uh, a league table and then to climb up to the next division and so forth and so on, then they're going to, they're going to put more into it. And then the communities also have more involvement into it because now they see, I mean, who'd have thought that FC Cincinnati was going to take off like they did here in Cincinnati. I, I mean, I was around when the Cincinnati Kings were around and they, they there was not much there. 
And now all of a sudden people are like, oh, look where Cincinnati soccer's at. Well, I mean, there's a lot that played into that and, and great for them and, and tapping into that. But how can Cincinnati exist without a pro soccer team essentially for how many years? And really an amateur soccer team that's able to climb or provide more for, for better players and to help identify players. I mean, it's, it's amazing that, 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 I mean, that we are able to produce to a certain level in the United States with American soccer, but yet by the time they hit, you know, kind of 14 years old when they get to high school or 18 years old when they get out of high school, that a lot of that is kind of like, eh, um, it's, it's gone. And, you know, like the, the most numbers I think, uh, for youth soccer is around 10 or 11 years old and then it fades away. Well, why that wouldn't have to fade away if there were more opportunities for kids to continue playing and they can see uh, a career pathway, a trajectory of their, their professional aspirations, or even, Hey, you know what? I'm not good enough to go pro, but I can fight for my community and play in the open cup. And, and who knows where we can go as, as an entity, as a club, we don't know, but we're going to fight for it. Yeah. The, that I'm glad that you mentioned as players get older, less and less opportunities present themselves for the players, which, you know, is probably true around the world um, to a, to a certain extent. It's just, it's right. kind of, um, it, it's, uh, I don't know the right word for it. Just here, it's just on a, on a completely different level because yeah, there, there is no end goal um, right. for, for a lot of the players here. And, and so what I was thinking of, the thought that was in my head is that if, there were more professional outlets in more communities across the country that would mean more spots for, for soccer players to continue playing. And that doesn't do anything to eliminate things like high school or do anything to eliminate things like NCAA. So actually it just, it, it creates more opportunities for people like yeah. uh, across the board. So no problem. Kids want to go and play professional or chase the professional dream. No problem. Three more spots just open up on your local college roster. So now three more kids have, have an opportunity to continue playing at that level. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the amount of kids, I mean, like I was a college coach for eight years, um, you know, an assistant for four and a head coach for four. And the amount of kids I've come across that, you know, they weren't, they, they're not college kids. They, they just don't want to go to school. I, I know what it's like. I mean, school's not fun for a lot of people, um, but they, they want to play. And that's kind of the only thing that drives them to school. So you spend so much time and effort trying to make sure those kids are going to be eligible and, you know, can, can, can play when they truly miss out on the whole playing aspect because they're so focused on this other stuff. But you know what? Those kids should be able to have a place to play if they want to work construction or if they want to work a factory and they can play for their local community team. But it's such a fractured scene once you hit 18 plus that that doesn't exist. I mean, I've, I've played in three different adult leagues here in Cincinnati and it, everybody, it's always the same. Hey, we need players. Hey, we need players. You might play the same team, you know, three weeks apart but you don't recognize any of the players consistently because they just always trying to go get players, you know, but if there was a, a, a continuity system built in, it's going to allow for people to continue to participate with their clubs or, or local community teams or, 
or, or I mean, I tell you, I spent two years in South Dakota and it opened my eyes to they, they had adult baseball in South Dakota. I had never seen it before in my life. And you played for your community. And it was a battle. And it was awesome to hear people talk about it. And if your community didn't have one, then you can go to the next closest community. You had to submit your address or whatever, however they did it. You could only go to the next closest community. And that community could only have so many outsiders to make sure that it was a community baseball club. And I thought it was brilliant. Did that did that influence your idea that you mentioned in here about um, limiting international roster spots in all divisions? That, that's part of it. Um, that that kind of comes from some of my college experiences um, and coaching. That I like. Don't get me wrong. I love I love working with international players. They bring a whole lot of of attitude, culture, experiences. Um, it's helped me go across the world and have have former players friends now across the world i love it um but if we are going to compete in the world's game at any level pro international youth then we have to provide more opportunities for our domestic players and if we see scholarships going to i mean i i think somebody put up that there's like a 30 percent increase in division one soccer players and internationally over the last like like 10 years something like that if if that's happening at that scale that means we're losing out on opportunities to identify domestic players and the domestic player now sees where can i go now i can't go to my local school or the school of my choice because look at those rosters and i understand it from the college coach's perspective because they got to win and who can win? Who can help you win right now? A twenty-year-old uh, international player that's a freshman has four years, or, or a seventeen, eighteen-year-old uh, domestic player who may not quite be as good because he's two years younger. You know, so they, we, we they try to chase a win here and now to save their jobs. It's it's not about development. It's not about player identification or pushing these players higher. If they does or if and can't they can play there? It's about how can I make sure that I keep my job right now, and I get it. Like I understand it. Everybody wants to keep their jobs. Nobody wants to get fired. But for me, the game is bigger than that. The game is about helping kids. It's about can I help anybody get to where they want to get in life? Um, as a college coach, yeah, I know what I was bound by. I knew some guys, and some guys. I'm not. I know I don't have a chance at a pro career, but can you help me get into grad school? Absolutely, that's what I'm there for. I'm help. I'm there to help them in life. Uh, can I help them get an internship? Absolutely, I'll, I'll do ever whatever I can to help you get an internship wherever you want. No, that's why I, I I've I've never I've never advocated or or even hinted at you know, promotion relegation and, and eliminating NCAA or eliminating high school soccer or, or anything like that. I've always tried to focus on, um, you know, it's going to create more opportunities for everybody across the board because there's mm -hmm. absolutely still going to be a place for college soccer for those reasons that you just mentioned. And there's absolutely always going to be a place for high school soccer for those reasons that you just mentioned. Yep. And, and the thing that I always come back to is that it's that crowd like the you know the 
I call them the rec crowd. People will get mad that I say that, but like the high school crowd or the NCAA crowd that seems to dominate the conversation and really hold back this idea that we should have more professionalized soccer, professional soccer. And it's, it's, it's really lopsided that that side of the conversation or that, the, that group of people really kind of dictates what the high performers or the highest performers can do or, or should yeah. be doing and, 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 you know, finding middle ground in, in, in those two groups is very, very tough to come by. Um, but it just seems very lopsided that there's, there's nobody advocating for high performers yeah, in a weird, I, I in a weird say, way. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, like, the other thing about the whole high school, I mean, it really hits the high school age. And I was like, well, what do you do about those kids that have a love for whatever sport? I'll use soccer because I know soccer. Like, they have a love for soccer. They really want to play because they played some youth soccer or some club soccer before they got into high school with a lot of friends. But guess what? Their high school doesn't have soccer. So what do they do now? Well, they can't play because their school doesn't sponsor it. And I'd like, well, aren't we hurting those kids? Like, if they truly want to to play, why shouldn't they be afforded that ability to play? Like, for me, I, and this is another thing that happened in South Dakota that I was, like, amazed by, but they actually co-opt uh, athletic programs at times if it required it so they say hey we got these two neighboring schools they could be however far apart they are but we're going to partner together so our kids can play and it doesn't happen in every sport so they might have a football team that's co-opt so they can play 11-man football but yet they still have their basketball teams because it doesn't require the same roster size like why couldn't that exist in soccer at the high school level more so i mean i grew up in an area in southeastern ohio we just now saw two of our league teams start soccer programs in 2018. One was 2018, one was 2019. They never had soccer ever before until 2018 and 2019 at the high school level. What if there was kids there that could have been great players? Who cares if they, were, if they weren't great players? They just loved playing. They loved being a teammate. I want those guys on my team. They're going to work. They should be able to play. If they're willing to drive 30 minutes to come to a training session for a high school team, they should be allowed to. Absolutely. It reminds me of my interview with Stevie Grieve. And he, when he was coaching in India, he said that the kids, you know, he described this one kid's journey specifically. It's like he had to take a bunch of trains. He had to run, uh, you know, an insane amount of miles to get on a bus, to get in a car, to, you know, finally make it to training. And, and, you know, the kid shows up just completely exhausted. And Stevie's like, of course, we're going to let you try out, dude. Uh, yeah. You just, you, you worked your ass off to get here. Of course, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want. And you end up being a pretty good player apparently. Uh, yeah. but it's like, yeah, if kids are willing to put in the work and, and whatever, it's like, of course, doors are open, man. Doors are open. Yeah. It goes, it goes back to the families, but yeah, here in high school, we have these restrictions on old people would be recruiting and all this other stuff. Like, but high school athletics is supposed to be an extension of the classroom. It's a learning environment. Yeah, it's not about wins and losses. They say they're not about college scholarships. We all know that's not, neither of those are true. But the learning environment and the extension of the classroom still is true. So let these kids be a part of teams if they want to be a part of If your high school doesn't sponsor it, guess what? You can go play somewhere else. You have to go through this application process or whatever, but you can do it. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I know all about the classroom stuff. I have to give that speech before every kickoff when when I when I referee. <laughs> it's like a it's like a six point speech. It's so funny. After the first game, I always have it memorized. Um, do do me a favor. Tell tell people where they can connect with you on social media. Where they can learn more about the usl2 team where they can learn more about the the goalkeeper gloves just just drop everything on on people right now okay yeah so you can find me on twitter instagram as well it's at ponchak cdlfc so it's p-o-n-c-h-a-k c-d-l-f-c um that's my twitter and instagram uh my goalkeeper gloves is s1gk usa so it's s and the number one GK USA. Um, and you can find all, I mean, our Cincinnati Dutch Lions, cdlfc.com is our website. And uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, those are several different handles. Uh, they're they're kind of linked on our website, cdlfc.com. But it's usually Cincinnati DLFC or Cincinnati Dutch Lions FC is, is usually what the handles are. It, Depending on the, the social media outlet, it's sometimes a little tricky to to make sure you fit that and 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 make it attractive. And uh, I, I would be failing my my listeners if I didn't ask the question that I ask everybody. And so I I, I need to ask you one more question. Um, what what do people need to know, either about you, about Cincinnati Dutch Lions, about American soccer, about goalkeeping gloves you know what whatever whatever comes to mind what do what, what do people need to know what, what's the message that you want to get out i think i think for me it, it comes back you, you just never know what kid what person what adult what male female you don't know what they can become but if we can provide for them and be there for them and love them and help them listen you never know what where where they'll end up ever um, it could be on the soccer field. Uh, for me, I hope it is sometimes. But if it's not in the soccer field, guess what? They're going to be a person that we want to be a productive member of society. And that's what's important. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.